You're listening to the lucky 13th episode of Season 3 of the Wicked Podcast. I'm Mike Moore. This podcast is about strict, rules-focused Christianity not working, but is not an attack on faith. It's about trying to maintain some connection to God, despite everyone. It's also about depression, stories, and music. Each episode is me pontificating and ruminating around a song from my concept album, Death in Tiny Spoonfuls. Episode 13, Beware the Cripple, Part 2. Having grown up in a pretty strict brethren group, hearing dark rumors of a brethren group stricter by far than our own, it was really something to get a former member on the podcast to really get into what kind of a group the now-titled Plymouth Brethren Christian Church Incorporated really was to grow up in. We've heard from John before, but here I wanted to really get into it with him. What I thought I would do, like some people don't understand how my church or a Mormon or, or Jehovah's Witness church would be stricter than a regular church. And I think... Yeah your group was stricter than the Jehovah's Witnesses. I suppose people could argue about that. But let's, yeah. let's, let's compare. So your average church, um, you're supposed to go out maybe once or twice Sunday, and there might be mm-hmm. one additional optional thing later in the week, possibly. Um, yeah. With mine, there was three things on Sunday, a thing on Tuesday, a thing on Thursday, and then there'd be optional things possibly on Friday and Saturday. What about yours? It was five meetings on Sunday, starting at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. And we had, we had then to rush to Manchester, an hour's drive for the nine o'clock reading, followed by, um, we then go to a break at someone's house for, for snacks, then back to that city room again for the pre- a preaching, rush back to Liverpool for uh, a, a local preaching, and then rush to Allison Road, the city room for the Oh, five. <laughs> I haven't thought about that, that madness for years. But, but, but then, about uh, 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 when I was about 15 approximately, uh, it was changed to only four meetings uh, on a Sunday, uh, which was fantastic news for us kids. So it went from five to four. Any, any meetings on other days of the week, though? It, uh, every single day of the week, there was a meeting. Um, yeah, Monday prayer meeting. Uh, Tuesday City Room, Wednesday City Room, Thursday Chester, uh, an hour's drive, quite a local room, and Saturday would be would be ten, ten o'clock in the morning. And so every month, we, every um, every single day of the week, there's church uh, uh, connection. Uh, yeah, eleven meetings a week. Um, wow, Latterly, ten meetings a week, and it was absolutely there was no thought about not going. It was mm-hmm. to go every single person. All the children went. The only reason you wouldn't go if you were ill. And that right there is double the number. Like what I'm, what I was going to, a lot of people would feel is excessive, and you were doubling that. Um, let's other points of comparison. We went to regular schools, and we were discouraged from socializing with uh, non-brethren people. But we could, if we really wanted to, we could, we could eat with non-brethren people and socialize with them if we wanted to. It was just we were, we were supposed to mostly socialize with brethren people. We were in state school, although nowadays they have the private schools. So obviously we would have school friends. We couldn't eat with them. We had to go home for school lunch uh, 11 years. We had to stand outside school assembly for the 11 years I was there. Uh, we couldn't uh, partake in any 
extra outside school activities at all whatsoever. So, uh, but, but, but as kids, we played with other kids in the street, you know, football, bikes, etc. But when it came to so, when we became teenagers and then I suppose older people, that there would be no socialising whatsoever. No. People who weren't, uh, you may say hello to the neighbour over the fence, mm-hmm. or, or that, that would be it. So no, no, no socialising. Right. And so in our group, which we thought was fairly culty, um, you were discouraged from dating people who weren't members of the church. Uh, if you did, the thought was that you were bringing them out and they were going to maybe become members too. How about in your case? Uh, dating did not exist. There was no such thing as dating, literally, um, whatsoever. And, and, and certainly not, not even pursuing a member of the opposite sex outside of the exclusive brethren. Of course not, because they were worldly. Uh, you would get withdrawn from, you get excommunicated immediately for doing that. And so your stock of potential uh, women for the men was uh, just the brethren only. Jake and Hans live with their parents and two younger brothers in Winchester. Like all young brethren adults, they stay in the family home until they marry. How did you get married without dating them? Very, very weird, actually because we weren't allowed to go out with them. Uh, we'd only meet them at the meetings, and then they weren't allowed to hold hands even. Mm. And so it was very, very odd, to say the least. I personally uh, never fancied anyone in my 22 years there, so it wasn't an issue. Was, was there a bit of a problem with not enough last names and too many cousins? Was that a thing or not really? There was certainly a limited stock. Right. Yeah, I'm assuming that over the years with such a limited, you know, who you can marry, that you'd end up being related in some way to a lot of people eventually. That's yeah, my assumption. Yeah. Um, we were discouraged from listening to pop music or watching television or going to the movie theater. And if we did those things, um, we wouldn't be straight up punished, but we might, someone might say that that's not something you should be doing. But if you, if you persisted in it, then you'd be allowed to do, you'd be disrespected, but you'd be allowed to continue in it. How about in your case? Totally banned. No ifs or buts. Absolutely banned. Uh, and uh, so uh, I would sneak out and go down to town and watch uh, the television in departmental stores. I did that and, too. Uh, and at one point, um, people had to confess that the actual physical touching of this pipeline of filth, as, as it was called, as mm-hmm. it was known. And so uh, two men, two priests, so-called, came round to my house one evening uh, and I told them that I had been touching televisions and pressing the volume button and the channel button and I had to confess it as a sin. That's interesting that part of the defilement was supposed to be from touching it. Uh, physically. Yeah, physically touching the television was, was something super superstitious. Now, you and I are of such an age that um, we could have computers, but they didn't have the internet or anything if we had bought computers and that's all changed. So for the longest time, I believe my group has always allowed computers. And this has been a bit of a sore point because in my group, a lot of people still will, in a, I think a superstitious way say that we, we don't have any television in our house. We have never had a television, but if you look, they have a computer and they have Netflix. So they might as well have a television. They just, they don't call it that. Now in the exclusive brethren, you've, you've been out for, for a bit. Um, they went through a phase where you weren't, allowed to have, I think, any computer, and then they gave like a special computer that was specially censored. And then and what, what do you, you think is the situation nowadays? The, the, the fourth man of God, the, the fifth one, Symington, um, he said that um, computers were of the devil 
mm-hmm. anything radio controlled even was of the devil because he, he said the devil owned the airway, the, the air. Right, the prince of the power of the air, so therefore broadcast. That's right. Uh, and so it was utterly forbidden. Uh, but but um, the latest man of God, uh, he is a businessman, and mm-hmm. it's turned very much towards, like, science, when I say Scientology, I'm talking about from the commerce point of view. Mm-hmm. It, it is their the major on commerce. And so, of course, you can't have commerce. You can't do commerce nowadays without email, without computers. This is so, Bruce Hills, and he... Yes sort of inherited this position from his father, John Hales, to some degree? That's right, yes. Yeah. yeah apparently the Hales have always been pushing towards commerce in the assembly, mm-hmm. which again was banned, strictly forbidden, apparently, by the Taylor regime. Now, once again, we can contrast the two. We're, we're both from a, Pl- a Plymouth Brethren group. We come from the same roots, but the, they diverged maybe 100 years or, or not even ago. So in my group, there was no worldwide leader. There certainly were... There was a small group of teachers who were considered the the best teachers, and they mm-hmm. definitely did things like send letters and phone calls to uh, help guide the decisions as to who would be kicked out or who would be in trouble. But again, in faithfulness to the Lord, he alone can give wisdom as to how to act, because I believe that you, dear ones of the family, know this situation much better than any outsider. Although I really think that from the long conversations I have had with each of them that uh, there have been problems, serious problems, on both sides. And at the present time we are crying earnestly to the Lord that uh, your beloved Father may be preserved from any step that would still further bring grief and bring dishonor to the name of the Lord Jesus. May the Lord guide each one of us in knowing how we ought to act in cases that concern the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus and the holiness of his name to whom by the grace of God we are gathered. They certainly did a bit of that, but it was very off the radar. It wasn't admitted to. It it would be heavily denied if you tried to suggest that there was anyone doing this worldwide. The whole view is each assembly was completely autonomous. I found a cassette tape, um, which I had not listened to. That was a private one for my father. And I listened to it. And it was somebody sending a cassette tape to my father, you know, an important man, explaining why he didn't think my grandfather would ever be allowed to be a member because he had divorced his wife. So he got excommunicated from, withdrawn from. And for the rest of his life, he was never allowed to be be a member again. We have not felt that there is any just cause for such a suspicion, nor is there any proof whatever that such guilt took place. And at the present time, I feel that the uh, arranging of a divorce has been entirely without scriptural warrant. There was a couple of last names. There was a Maybe you could count on one hand, maybe five guys that they seem to be the most important brethren people in the world. But in your case, quite different, right? Yes, the the man of God, um, which I think that name came in with third man of God, which was James Taylor Sr. in New York. But these men, uh, one of the peculiar, well, let's say peculiar, freaky things about the exclusive brethren Christian church is that every single decision, every single doctrine, despite the fact that they change and evolve over the years and decades, that they are 
literally determined by just one man. Mm-hmm. Just one man alone. He, he kind of has veto a, powers, right? Like he can veto anything he wants. There's no number two. There's no <laughs> number three. They, they, they may have a big wig in England, for example. They may have a big wig in you know New Zealand, and you know what I mean. Uh, but the, these big wigs do not uh, legislate. They do not make the laws whatsoever. It is the man of God who has, therefore, total total control over that. And you know what? I don't actually know how common that is in cults. Um, I know it's a cultic thing. It's a cultic trait. The reason why I do not call my group a cult just fully mm-hmm. is because there is no worldwide power. There's no man yeah. that, that is behind it. The other reason is money. So our group, some of the people certainly had some money, but there was no pooling of the money. Um, everybody had their own money. They, they were not an economic force. You know, people would be free to do business with each other. I think once again, I think uh, the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, as it's now suddenly called, to, to sell itself on the internet it's a lot about money isn't it yes it is it's about commerce and big business and and uh, wealth unless things will change the money situation will be that they would have a collection every sunday morning mm-hmm. and breaking the bread and then once a month on a saturday would have a care meeting 6 a.m the treasurer would d- declare the income and the outgoings you know the bills mm-hmm. etc then they would give gifts to people and the man of god uh, would always get from the Liverpool Assembly about 400 quid, 400 pounds. Yeah. So if we compare there, um, you know, we're farmers and, you know, store owners in, in Ontario, Canada, don't have a lot of money. So as I recall, um, you know, putting in $20, you know, 5 10 20 $50, this would be maximum what each person might put in. So we're talking about gifts of a few hundred dollars, maybe um, if you were to, if there was someone who's a missionary and we wanted to support his work, we might give him $500, something like that. Now I'm not good at converting money, but my impression is that it's much larger sums of money that are changing hands in the Plymouth Brethren Christian church. Am I right? I don't know how much money they handle nowadays in the Plymouth Brethren Christian church, in exclusive brethren. Um, and especially in, for example, the seventies, 400 pounds a month from Liverpool assembly alone. Wow. Around the world. I mean, the Liverpool Assembly had to say 200 people. Because it all came to the same man eventually. That, yes, uh, that 50,000 members, if you work out approximately how much you'd be getting gift-wise. Because there's another world. difference. Um, the way that it was with us, and we were brought out as little children, and there was no special Sunday school meeting during the Breaking of Bread Sunday morning worship service. There was an additional Sunday school later for everybody. But all of the children, unlike most churches, were brought out to the hour, hour and a half long, very Victorian, old fashioned, formal, no instrumental music um, worship service. And it was 100% solemn, quiet Victorian worship style, nothing that would be entertaining and no, no joking or smiling or, or, or anything like that. Um, now, what happened is somewhere toward adolescence, you could choose to ask to break bread with everybody else. And they'd come and visit you, and, and eventually you could take a sip of the wine and a piece of the bread and put a little bit of money in. But this is the sort of thing that happened when people were 10 or 12 or 15. That's not the way, I think, in the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, is it? No, it isn't. I, 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 I can't actually can't remember how it came to be for myself. But the rules did change in my time I was there. And I think one of the rules, if not the latest one, was that if a baby reached out for the emblems, the mm-hmm. bread or the wine, then they counted that as partaking, <laughs> and so mm-hmm. therefore they would give the bread and the wine literally to a baby. So, so, so that was what, what one of the uh, rules when I was in. And there's another 
difference there that like most churches, anyone can go in. You, If you randomly wander in and there's a service, you'll be welcomed and you'll be allowed to, to some degree to participate. I'm sure most churches have a bit of gatekeeping that you can't, you know, teach the Bible or anything. Our group, a little bit stricter that um, if you came in during the worship service, the breaking of bread, the communion in Canada, anyway, there was a special section in the back where you had to sit. If you were not going to be partaking of the emblems, you, you couldn't just partake of the emblems, take communion. Even if you were a Christian and good stand, you could be a pastor of a, of a church. You, you couldn't, you would have to forswear your connections to the other church, like leave it completely and ask to be, to break bread in, in, in the correct, you know, brethren one. And they would take their time, take a month, take two months uh, to visit you, to get their head straight about it. And then you're in this position where you come up and sit at the front and you're allowed to break bread. And from that point on, you're always possibly you can be withdrawn from, you can always be kicked out, excommunicated. Uh, but until, until you ask, that doesn't happen to you. So there, there would be a number of people, there could be people your age and my age who were sitting at the back and they'd come out since they were little children and they've just, they never asked because they didn't want that responsibility. And it gave them a little bit more freedom, but they could still attend and everything. I think in the Plymouth Brethren Church, you don't have that position that you're not quite a member, but you're still there. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. You're a 100% fully-fledged member, or you're shut up, Mm -hmm. which is suspended uh, because of a misdemeanor, or you're withdrawn from excommunicated. That's a huge difference. So we would have men who were they would speak in the Bible study and they'd get in a little bit, a little bit of trouble. And so they would get called what's called silenced. They'd basically be told you're not allowed to vocal. You're basically in the position of a woman. Now you're no longer yeah. allowed to speak in the meeting. And, th- and then they'd come out and sometimes that'd be the rest of their life. These men would come out and, you know, they taught something that people disagreed with. So they would have to keep their mouth shut. Uh, and also um, the men also can request what hymn is going to be sung next and they can pray. The women in my group can't do that. The next thing that would happen is if if you got in more trouble, if you're a man or a woman, you'd be under discipline, which in Canada would mean that you go and sit in the back. In, in America, it doesn't even mean that. It just means that you sit there and the emblems go by you. The bread and the wine get passed by you and you could stay that way the rest of your life. Or uh, And while you're in that position, if you were a member and you've been put out of fellowship, you you're basically expected to come out to all the meetings, same as ever. You need to show up and be on your very best behavior, and you may never get back in. Um, but what they're supposed to do is have conversations with you, and eventually let you back in when they satisfy themselves that you're fully repentant. And during the time that you're out, there is the idea it's very traditional that people aren't supposed to eat with you. And so, if you're put under fellowship and they have a fellowship tea or some social thing, which they would often do, you have to go home because you're not allowed to eat in the room with everybody. There's the exception made for your family. So one, I, I had a, when I went to university, there was a family who would invite me out every Tuesday night to come to their house for supper before going to evening church. And their son was under discipline. So what they would do is normally he would eat at the table with them because he was family. But if I was there, they didn't want to defile me. And so when I came, they would take him his food up in his bedroom and he had to stay up there, which he didn't like very much. Um, and they did silly little things like maybe a separate table in the kitchen that he would eat at a separate table 
from the other people in, in his own family kitchen. Now, in your group, uh, it's even harsher, isn't it? That if somebody is even shut up, like they're in a little bit of trouble, they're not even allowed to come in to church, right? They have to stay home? Absolutely. They're, they're certainly not allowed into church at all. They're already not allowed to eat with non-church members, and now they're not allowed to eat with church members either. So they pretty much have to eat alone, right? That's right, yeah. I was talking to someone recently about a suicide case, which happened whereby a, a brother was shot up, mm-hmm. and he wasn't allowed. his wife wasn't allowed to sleep with him mm-hmm. uh, even. And this went on for three months, and there was no sign of, of uh, any change, and he started to get concerned that his wife would leave him. And so mm-hmm. he, he took the committed suicide. And so, yeah, these um, uh, the separations and not being allowed to eat. My brother, when he was 15, was shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, the food was put outside his bedroom door. Mm-hmm. And he had to get it and then go in the bedroom on his own. And so uh, that was even at the age of 15, he wasn't allowed to uh, eat with us because he was shut up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's relatively commonplace. I mean, my group has just, uh, in my lifetime has kicked out more people than they've left in. Um, you know, if you're, if you're someone that's kicked out, you sort of know, like, and, and there's a difference between kicked out and walked away. So I guess a lot of people eventually get frustrated. They basically get told like you're silenced. So they leave instead of staying, they leave. Um, there's also a lot of starting their own tables. Uh, that's what happened with my father that um, there was a big division. He refused to go with the division. So he stayed, but then they kept kicking out more and more people and eventually said like, I can't support all of this excommunication. And they literally said our way or the highway. And so he walked out and then he was out. And so was he kicked out? I would say, yes, they did the paperwork. They made the announcement. If any assembly in the entire world had given him communion or allowed him to, to speak, that assembly would then, as an entire group of people, would have been excommunicated by his own. So that's that's power and that that's a thing. But that's what that's what happens. Other things that are different in my Plymouth Brethren group, contraception was wasn't really discussed. It wasn't something that people talked about. There were certainly people who would have felt that it's not the Lord's will, but people wouldn't ask or tell about that. And if somebody like little little examples are are middle-aged women who they had a couple of kids when they were young and then suddenly they have a child when they're older. Uh, that's a bit of a clue that maybe they were using contraception or certainly a clue that they were having sex for pleasurable reasons other than procreation. And there will be strict people who will turn a, a leery eye and say, like, I don't, that, that's not what they should be doing. But they'd be allowed to do it. Now, in your, in your group, if somebody... If, Someone found, let's say, contraceptive pills in the in the bathroom. What would happen? I was there for twenty two years, uh, between sixty six and eighty eight. I never heard the word sex once, mm-hmm. uh, either at home or in exclusive brethren. And so, you know what? I don't even think I knew what contraception was. See, we we didn't say sex either. We said moral evil. <laughs> How's your sex life? How's your moral evil life? But um, I have read. Um, Nairi Thomas is, I think that's how I pronounce her name. Uh, Nairi Thomas uh, was from, I think, New Zealand. And she was using birth control pills because the doctor wanted her to, and she was shut up for that. So I believe that women in the Plymouth Brethren Church are, are forbidden to use contraception. And if other women tell on them, I think they get shut up and get told to stop that. I'm assuming that uh, Plymouth Brethren Exclusive Church families would be relatively large. Yes, yes, absolutely. 
the, the way they their, their numbers are simply from breeding, so to mm-hmm. speak, from, from families because people don't join. In your life, do you ever recall anyone joining? No, I don't. In the 22 years I was there, I don't recall anyone joining. Um, and you mentioned you mentioned just before about people coming to allowed to come to the meetings. Mm-hmm. And again, in 22 years, I don't remember a single per- person who wasn't in the Susibethan attending a meeting. Your your guys do a lot of street preaching because that's really the only way they're going to talk to people because people can't come in. You're absolutely right. But the street preaching they did open air, as they call it. That isn't. That is absolutely not to uh, to get new members. No, they're, they're not interested in getting new members. Uh, they just uh, shout out about heaven and hell. Uh, I was at an open air uh, preaching in Manchester once, and th- this uh, chap uh, I won't mention his name. He's still alive, I think. He was preaching about the burning in hell doctrine, etc. An old lady came past. And she went up to him at the end, and I heard her say, I'm, I'm, I, I might, I'm interested in what you're saying. Uh, I might like to come to your church. Mm-hmm. And so can you imagine this? This is a potential lady who, who, mm-hmm. who might be, in their eyes, unsaved. And so this is an opportunity, you know. This is what he said. Have you got a television? Funnily enough, she said, uh, I haven't watched television for three years. Have you got a television? Well, she said, my television is in the loft. It's been broken for three years. So he said, so you have got a television. Mm-hmm. She said, yes, but I don't watch it, but it's broken. In that case, he said, I want no more to do with you. The love of God right there. Um, yeah, that's, we were supposed to give out a lot of Bible tracts and preach in the streets. And, and very, very few of us did that. But my impression is the people who did it, some of them had good hearts, but a lot of them, it's just, to say they did it. It's like check a box. It's like I went and I preached to a bunch of people. And um, and ironically, people like my sister who live in the city will randomly get tracks given to them or get preached at by people who they recognize who don't remember them. So people mm-hmm. like my sister who have left will just have someone walk up and start preaching. And, and it's up to them whether or not they reveal that, yes, I know, I went to Sunday school with you. Um, but they usually, my sister just stays anonymous because she doesn't want to out herself like that. The answer to the question about contraception, I expect because, you know, Marie Thomas was a woman, so she knew about that and had written about it in her book. Um, But yeah, that complete lack of, so I assume that people would get married in that mysterious brethren manner and they wouldn't really understand how things are meant to go or what made people pregnant or or stuff unless they talked to other people. Well, I heard a story whereby a couple got married. um, They were all encouraged to get married as early as possible. Uh, you know, about in the, about the age of 20. Um, and uh, one couple uh, went to a, a brother uh, and said, uh, how, do you, how do you make children? So, so they've gone through the whole life uh, and uh, they didn't know. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so that's why, as I say for myself, uh, I never, the, the subject of sex was never once uh, mentioned. I didn't even hear the word. It was just one of those subjects of which they talk about. At adolescence, hair grows on the face, under the arms, sometimes on the chest, and around the reproductive organs. As these reproductive organs mature, they play an important role in the changes of adolescence. So we had what normally would be called sex ed or sexual education at school, and my father very much disapproved of the use of the word, and he wanted them to call it family health. 
And eventually he felt it was getting too explicit. So by the time I was maybe 11, he had me go read a book in the library when that class was taught because he didn't like what they were teaching. They were, for instance, showing pictures of genitalia and he didn't want me looking at those pictures in health class. Um, But, you know, things worked out okay. The name of our groups is difficult because, of course, our group refused a name and continues to refuse a name. And it's split into all these subgroups and none of them have names. And they give each other names to try to criticize each other. And your group was willing to be called the Exclusive Brethren or the Plymouth Brethren, which ours was also willing that outsiders didn't know. So they could call us the Exclusive Brethren. But now the group that you were raised in flipped 180 on that from absolutely refusing to have a name. And then what happened? Well, in 2003, when Bruce Hales took over, um, he, he renamed it all and rebranded it the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. Their the, the charitable status was in question, mm-hmm. and um, and they had to make some changes and re- do a rebrand. And so, so I've heard people say that that's one of the reasons why they rebranded it, mm-hmm. so that they could uh, try and fit in with the charitable state, charitable charitability commission laws. And that was in, in England thing i think there's quite a bit to that story like our group didn't want to pay taxes um so they would nobody cared what they wrote they would write whatever just make up a whatever name they would write plymouth brethren or you know a christian church or or just something to satisfy the paperwork and there was no admission that this was our actual name we didn't have a name but we wrote something for the government um now as i recall uh, with the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, that flip happened because they were actually really questioning that maybe they were going to lose their charity status. And I think the argument was that they were claiming to be a charitable organization who would not eat or associate with the people who would need charity. And so people were saying, like, how can you call yourself a charitable yeah. organization? You don't feed the poor. You don't even eat with the poor. Um, and there's been a remarkable change now that they went from not allowing websites to having an official website. It's filled with videos with people explaining that they're not at all a cult. They're not a cult, honest, like nothing whatsoever like a cult. And there's virtually no mention of a man of God or, or any of the rules or any of that stuff at all. Um, they're just normal like everyone else. And a big part of what they're doing is being photographed with the giant checks that they're signing uh, because they're giving money to charity. And there's been, there's been, and it's literally in the last five years, there's been a rush of this. And and I think there was some floods and so on that they really made a name for themselves because they saw an opportunity that there was a flood or some kind of a problem. And what they did is they came in and, you know, fed people and didn't eat with them. Uh, they didn't invite them into the church. They set up a tent outside in the parking lot for them to yeah. sit underneath. They did a lot of things where they didn't break their own rules and they still are giving the appearance of being a charitable organization you have to know what to look for i'm looking for the the no ties the women not wearing pants even if there's a flood um them feeding people who need food but not eating with them or sitting with them or really talking to them the preaching on the street but not having conversations like all of this seems pretty clear to me even from the website yeah absolutely yeah they, they uh, yes they've got they've got some charitable charitable arms which they advertise very much and say all the good works they're doing but what people don't know is that behind them is a cult of which is destroying and is holding destroyed families right now uh, and always has done. And no, no, right there, that's, that's not hyperbole. Uh, a lot of people will hear you say that they destroy families and they think that it's destroying families like social media is destroying families. But you're being quite literal. Like it actually splits up 
actual families? Yes. So by destroying families, I'm talking about whereby children uh, never see the parents again, where a husband and a wife, they never see each other again, where uh, grandparents uh, never see their grandchildren again and vice versa. Uh, and, and I did a, when I wrote the book Cultuscape, I did a survey. Sorry, I, I wrote down all the members of the Liverpool Assembly when I was there, and I got most of them. And, and I worked out that in their nuclear family, parents, children, grandparents, uh, aunts, uncles, and cousins, over 70% of the people were in families that were split up and destroyed as a result of the laws of the exclusive burden. And uh, I, I did the same, ran the same survey for two local churches in Anglican and a Methodist with 800 members, and, and 0%, not one person, was in a family that split up because of the church laws. And, and so, yeah, so, I mean, for, for myself, um, my four grandparents left in 1970 and I didn't see them again. So that, that, that was... Now, how formalized is that? You're, you're told, like, don't, don't talk to them. Like, if you, if you go to visit them, you get a priestly, right? Uh, if you went to visit them, you wouldn't just get a priestly. you get shut up or withdrawn from. Right, so it's, and you know that, like, from, from being a child, you live in fear that if you go to talk to, even if it's your father, and he has been read out, if he's been shut up and yeah. sent away, if you go visit him, you're risking your own. And this is something I find very difficult to communicate. A lot of people will say, well, you don't, you don't like that church, so just go to a different one. And when, when you say, well, I got kicked out of the church, there's like, well, you just go to the next one. I don't think they really understand what a birth culture is, that you don't just lose the place that you go Sunday morning for an hour. You lose a lot more. Yes. Well, um, well when, if a person gets kicked out, uh, they they were forbidden to have anything to do with that person, mm-hmm. and so um, well, when I left, my parents were forbidden to have anything to do with myself, and uh, they haven't phoned me to ask how I am now for the last thirty three years, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, they know that that's not the culture; that they're not allowed to. Although <clears throat> Bruce Hales did change the law slightly, tactfully, whereby he has now said that they can speak to me. They can't eat with me or have me round or have any normal family life whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But, but in theory, they can speak to me. They haven't done, but they could do. So, for example, if a policeman knocked on my parents' door without door tonight and said, have you been influenced by your religion to have nothing to do with your son? He would say, oh, no, no, I can phone them up now if I want to. Right. This is what I've heard is that whenever somebody asks, you know, does your church refuse members to talk to their relatives saying, oh, no, they're absolutely free to do so. And then if you were to say, how many of them do so? None of them do so. Will anything happen to them if they do so? Absolutely. They will be punished, but they're absolutely allowed, but they will be punished if they do it. And so they're choosing not to do it. It's that to me is such brainwashing that I think a lot of people probably believe that, that they, they believe they're free in a way, don't they? They believe that it, that they're choosing to follow these rules. Yes, it, it, it's, they're, they're indoctrinated, and they're, um, they're to the point whereby whatever the man of God says, they believe, and there's no questions asked. They, would, they wouldn't dare to ask any questions. So indoctrinated for literally 10 hours a week, just for indoctrination purposes, minimum? Yes, and then the, the whole lifestyle. As far um, as the uh, idolizing of the, the man of God, his picture is in every house. Isn't there also his sayings, like his, his, there's books you have to buy that are what, what he's taught this year and that kind of thing? Every meeting, the man of God 
takes, which is all the meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, what he says is transcribed into mm-hmm. a, a white book, a, a thin paper, a white book. Did you know this, Mike? That every Monday night, that white book is delivered through every single door around the whole world. I did know that actually, and yeah. that means that his picture is in every house around the entire world, and also weekly what he's been saying is delivered around the world. And there's also a global prayer list of what's the agenda that everyone will pray. I was amazed to hear that on a specific date, all of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church folks in the entire world were praying as far as who would become the premier of Ontario because somebody was hard on unions or something. Like they're praying about these things. Uh, You know, teachers who were going to be teaching, I don't know, something about evolution or something, and they were praying you know, that the politics would go the right way. That seems very culty, how lofty he and his family are. Um, now, someone like yourself, I'm assuming you'd be in the same room with him on occasion, but wouldn't get to speak with him or never? No. Um, I mean, for, for most of the 22 years I was in, Sanson from Netchi, North Dakota, uh, he, he uh, was the man of God. I, I, I once went to a meeting in Sheffield, but where, a special meeting. Oh, he was there, so it was special to us. But uh, no, 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 I would never get a chance to see you, you wouldn't. From what I hear, Bruce Hales uses a jet and travels quite a bit. I've heard he has a private jet. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of argument about that because that makes him sound affluent. And there's there's a lot of suggesting that he's a humble man and is not wealthy. Um, <laughs> does that sound right to you that... Uh, Bruce Hales is actually just a humble brother and he's not at all wealthy or are there some pretty obvious signs that he has money? Well, I've seen a picture of his house and mm-hmm. he lives in the palace mm-hmm. um, and a private jet driven around in the blackout uh, Range Rover, uh, blackout windows with security and, and uh, high security, mm-hmm. physical security. So we have nothing like that at all. And I think when members are asked if it's true that the man of God has a private jet, they say something like, well, he flies on jets like everybody, or he, he pays for a ticket or he rents a jet. But I don't think they, I believe he owns the jets and the vehicles. Um, now, a regular church, most people's churches, uh, we know, like in a movie, you know, pointy roof and crosses everywhere and stained glass and that kind of thing. Uh, my, mine was quite different. It was more like a Quaker one, that it looked like just a completely ordinary um, office or any kind of place you'd have a, a gathering, Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever, it, just a completely undecorated place. There was no pictures or, or anything. There was decorative Bible texts were up on the walls that said, my favorite is that the center of global division in our group in the world had a Bible verse that said something like, how blessed it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And that was right in a giant thing on their wall, and they caused more disunity than anybody. But um, that's if, if you were to look at one of my exclusive brethren churches or buildings, it might just be a rented room in a, in a shopping mall, or it might just be a house. A lot of them just look like a house, or they would look like a church that has all of the churchy style taken away. So they're very plain looking. The one I went to was basically a house. So all the windows were frosted. Uh, which is not common in North America. I hear it's more of an Australian thing to frost your windows and door glass, but they're frosted so people couldn't just stare in. 
There was a, ve- a big sense of privacy, but that privacy of worship and, and so on, and the, the style of the buildings is quite different, I think, in the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. Yeah, they have no windows uh, in their halls. They, they own all their halls, their meeting rooms. They buy them. And um, there's no there's no decor in them, uh, you know, uh, as in there's no uh, posters or uh, texts or anything like that. It's very extremely plain. Uh, I used to count the count the Stephen tiles. That was a lot. That one of the highlights of my. Now, do most of them have kind of a gate or something to block people coming in, or is that just I've seen some like that? Yes, they they have a, a strong uh, steel gate, iron gates, and they get locked when everyone's in. So once so, you're having uh, church, there's actually an iron gate locking out random people who might want to hear the gospel. Um, and obviously, you can't leave either because the iron gate is locked at that time. So you'd have to unlock it to leave. Yeah, that that's quite different. I mean, our, our brethren group that has the uh, how blessed it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. They have two enormous iron gates, but they're definitely wide open whenever the building's being used. So you can come and go freely at that time. And there's always the hope that random people will walk in with them because um, they they like to think that they're they're doing what God wants and they're assuming that God wants you to spread the gospel. Most people won't even believe this, but tell about the plumbing. Yeah, these law, new laws will be introduced uh, out of the blue uh, by the ministry of the man of God. Um, and one of them one day was that uh, drain pipes uh, were not allowed to be shared because it was uh, connecting you know, with the world. And so anyone who had a shared drain pipe had to move house. And um, if anyone had a shared driveway, they had to move house. All the brethren meeting halls, the plumbing has to be completely discreet from adjoining buildings. Well, well, all the meeting halls are, are detached. They're all anyway. detached. So, all detached, so they would always have their own independent plumbing. Mm-hmm. But your individual houses, if people lived in houses of which the uh, the drains, the plumbing was joined, uh, even joined in the road, mm-hmm. then that was a, that was linking with the world. And so Sir Sanderson said that they had to move. So well, my parents had to move. Uh, which was a family home, which was, you know, very sad because we were living there. And uh, moved to a house um, which was acceptable and clean in the eyes of man of God. Although a year later, he changed the rules again. He, he changed the bar again and said that the house has got to be detached. And because one we moved into was an end terrace, which were with drains which weren't shared. And did you now, live in Did you live in Liverpool, did you say, or Manchester? I forget. Liverpool. Liverpool. So if you just simply wanted to move to Yorkshire or yeah. Cornwall. If there wasn't um, a Brethren assembly there, you're not allowed. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. not. So you can only move. And ours was the same. I remember when I was getting ready to, to go away to school, to university and become a teacher. When people were picking their schools, only certain cities have Brethren groups in them. And so if you, for instance, I think Boston didn't have one. And so if somebody said, well, I'm thinking of going, uh, I got a scholarship to MIT or something, people would say, but you can't go to Boston. There's nobody there. And I would picture this, you know, the city of Boston, there's nobody there. Like it's not a single person. And then what they meant was not a single brethren person. Yeah. I mean, there were always a lot of old people there, younger people, but yeah, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be seen as being, um, as being as spiritual, I suppose, as the older people. Mm-hmm. But if you were just, making your own life and you decided you you wanted to do a certain job in a different city um you couldn't just do that could you no you couldn't no no um 
uh, you certainly couldn't uh, do a job which would uh, interfere with the meetings. Mm-hmm. So you had to be uh, home by 7.45, beating every single evening. Mm-hmm. And of course, Saturdays, you weren't allowed to work on Saturdays. That was yeah. forbidden. Mm-hmm. And of course, you wouldn't work on Sundays. There's no time anyway. Yeah, I, I would have uh, most likely followed a career in photography mm-hmm. um, from the age of 17. Uh, I could have got a job, but I couldn't work Saturdays, and so that was out. So uh, people were very limited in what they could do. This is why I'm living with myself. And as you were saying before, education was also controlled that women certainly weren't expected to go on to go to higher education, but even men generally, from what I've heard nowadays, there are exceptions made for business and commerce, you know, Bruce Hale style and approved that you're going on to learn how to be a better businessman. But if, for instance, you wanted to get a master's degree in literature, I'm not sure that's allowed still, is it? No, literature was banned. So you couldn't read novels. Oh, novels. Um, yeah, so, so I assume that uh, things like literature would be classed in the world. There's an Australian book um, about Mormons, and it's from, I think, the 50s or 60s. But you probably know, you know, being in England, um, he's, uh, he's rebelling. And so there's a scene where he's eating candy, sweets, which he's not supposed to eat. And he's in bed with a naked girl, which he's not allowed. And he's smoking cigarettes and he's reading Biggles. And the idea mm-hmm. that he was never allowed to read Biggles. And so all of a sudden, as a young man, the great rebellion is he's reading Biggles, uh, which North Americans don't know. It's sort of like reading the Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew. It's like adolescent, very young adolescent books. And uh, about, I think, a, a fighter ace guy, a pilot. I believe we don't have Biggles here, but it would be banned because it was a novel for the Mormons back then. And and same in your group, in my group, we weren't really encouraged to read those sorts of books, but some of us did just did anyway. And if we really wanted to read Hardy boys books, there was no great shame in it. There was just a caution that be cautious what you read. Um, But yeah, so in, in your group, you couldn't just decide to be a doctor. Could you? No, no, certainly not. No. Well, well, I mean, you you weren't allowed to go to university for a start. And so uh, all those careers, you require a degree. So that was out of the question. There, were there, there was a time uh, uh, before, uh, maybe the 60s or 50s or 40s, where you could go to university, you could get degrees, etc. You could mm-hmm. take on these professions. But then a new rule was introduced uh, in my time, whereby you could not be part of a company where you had to sign an official secrecy act to be part of a union mm-hmm. or be part of um, anything to do with a business club. And many, many people had to instantly give up. Including my dad, he had to give. He was working in the bank. Good job. Uh, they had to give up their work immediately. I think they quote the verse about "be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers" yeah. is what they quote for that. But we we were not that extreme. There was always the feeling that we shouldn't have to join unions. But our group was fairly lenient that we'd be discouraged from joining unions. But if we had to join one to do the job, we would reluctantly do it and, and voice our disapproval of it. But we were being forced to do it. Now, we were not to vote. Uh, we were not to support any political party. So whether it was liberals or conservatives, all of it was of this world. And we weren't to vote or have anything to do with it. We weren't to run for public office or join political organizations. Now, what I've heard on online is that it's the same with the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, but they seem to be quite involved with the more conservative parties, or as the, the Australians would call them, the left wing. But in North America, that's right wing. Funding the com- campaigns and, and working with them and 
and and I also saw the uh, someone gave me some um, like there's an agenda for the prayer meetings, and someone gave me a copy of the agenda for the prayer meeting where they're praying that the various countries in the world would have the sorts of people elected into power who would not mess with the tax laws that were benefiting churches. <laughs> so I think a lot of it was voting based on are they going to try and tax us, because the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church is in theory a, a church, but from what I'm seeing online, it's increasingly like a business. Yes, that, that's the direction it's going in. All right, yeah, business, commerce, uh, something which I remember uh, it being utterly forbidden and mm-hmm. banned, you know, um, in the 70s by the then man of God. Yeah. But um, just like um, the way all courts do, their laws evolve. Mm-hmm. and some of them do U-turns even. You were talking about pets before. One of the things yep. I heard about when pets were banned is because it takes away our affections from God. The pets take away our affections, allegedly. This is back from, from what I'm suggesting of why these rules. And if you look at all yeah. the different fundamentalist religions, you find them covering up women and shutting up women. You find them greatly curtailing all the things that young people would naturally do, especially if they're joyous. And anything yeah. that's entertaining or cultural or enriching or emotional, just know all of that. I, I don't think that's a coincidence anymore. I mean, we can, yeah. we can believe in dark forces and you know evil and all that. And I think that if God is the creator and, and creativity and expressiveness is good, if there's some inherent virtue in art, art and music and dance and all of that, then that's not going to be, yeah, we have this idea in our culture that, you know, you make friends with the devil who make you the best songwriter or the best dancer or whatever you can sign a contract. That's a crazy idea. As far as I'm concerned, as far as anything that's in any religious book, um, the devil is supposed to be the enemy of creativity and expression and honesty, truth and excellence and growth, health, development. All these things are good things and he's not into it. Um, yet, for some reason, all these churches look and say, well, you know, that book or that uh, that painting, that artist, that that musician, it's all something to do with the devil all of a sudden. And I think that's because they're competition. I think they compete with. Yes. And also all, the, all these people uh, are not we're not exclusive of them. And, and so they didn't want our, the man of God would not want our focus mm-hmm. on people who are not in the exclusive of them. So we could hear music in our own homes but amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. But uh, the attention would be taken off him um, and taken off the, the, the cult if we were to uh, put our attention on these, you know, wonderful, you know, creative, uh, amazing gifts that uh, which people have. It's quite something to picture that Normally, everyone would be required to go out to a meeting 10 times a week. And all of a sudden with COVID, you can't go out to a meeting ever. So what happens to their week? I guess it's all sitting in their own living rooms with the laptop or something. Yeah. I'm singing wirelessly into my phone. Are they allowed phones too or or not? Yes, they've always been allowed landlines, but uh, mobile phones were strictly forbidden. That's what I mean. I know someone, it's easy, yeah. to hide, easy to hide mobile phones, but to do meeting uh, Sunday, for instance, um, I was wondering if they would even be allowed to have phones to do that, like cell phones. Yeah, well, well they have cell phones now. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they're chipped. The cell phones are chipped so that they are monitored and they're internet access. They, they are there. They do have internet access, but it's monitored. So you're, are you saying a, that, is this... Is this exaggerating? Is this true that anybody that's in that group who has a cell phone or a computer 
maybe being monitored by the church, uh, all of their habits I've on the internet? Every, I've heard that every single device is, mon is, is monitored with a chip. Absolutely. Uh, and and uh, every time they Google something, they know what they're being, they know what they're Googling. As far as you know, how has COVID affected uh, any of the, the brethren stuff? Yeah, uh, apparently they've been meeting on, on uh, Zoom. And, uh, same with my group and uh, they went from being uncomfortable with the internet to now they they're doing their meetings and you can't do the breaking of bread on zoom really exactly maybe they do but, but i mean to think to think of them uh, having a computer in their house you yeah. know after what simonson said about computers mm -hmm. you know it's absolutely and yet and yet to them of course um because if the man of god says jump they jump how do men of god get that position Right, uh, but there's been seven since uh, in the exclusive of the Christian Church line. There's only been seven since James, well, six since James Darby. Um, uh, F.A.R. followed Darby, um, who was a, a big follower of his. Is that F.A. Raven? Uh, uh, F.E. Raven, yes. Yes, okay. Right. <laughs> and then um, uh, I, I don't know how James Taylor Sr. Uh, took up that baton from F.A.R. But then his son, J James Taylor Jr., mm -hmm. he followed his father. Mm -hmm. Well, the object of these meetings, as usual, is to get some people to spiritual. That's the object of the meeting. That's the real object of any meetings, is to get something spiritual into the better. Now, how are we going to do that? We only bastards here. Uh, although there was a, a quite a few years gap between him and his father, and from what I've heard and read, there's a good book called In the Days of Rain by Rebecca Stott. I've heard of that. into the detail of all this, great detail of how the transition took place. But this was a, a very political transition, apparently, when uh, Taylor took over. And then uh, he, he might have recommended Simonton for the next one. And then John Hales took over. And wh wh when, when Simonton died, I remember saying to someone, um, Hales can't be the next, John Hales can't be the next leader because he's been withdrawn from twice. Mm -hmm. And what's being withdrawn from that slur on your character and spiritual character means that you know you, you, you've got to be pure. And uh, this person uh, who was an elder, so to speak, he agreed with me. He, he, he could see it, it's a farce. And then, of course, Bruce Hales is the son of John Hales, so he took over. It's quite easy to see how that happened. Now, did John Hales get withdrawn from for political reasons or moral reasons? I think political reasons. That sounds about right. Before my time, so mm -hmm. and and it was also a, a thing to do with commerce in the assembly as well. Right. Once he introduced commerce in the assembly, so uh, we always spoke about filthy lucre with a lot a lot of. Uh, now our our group definitely had some wealthy people, but there was always the feeling that that was a self indulgence to become wealthy, and it was almost like. We almost looked at it. Well, it's not their fault. Their father had money. It kind of happened to them. But, you know, I think it probably took a lot of their time to get and stay wealthy like that. They were competing. So, you know, why couldn't we listen to songs? Because they had the, bre the Brethren songs. And those were the songs for you. Even though most of the Brethren songs are Anglican songs, or it's the German National Anthem, or it's O Tenenbaum, like a Christmas song, or it's Mozart. Most We have actually the same basic hymn book. The only difference is uh, our group decided in 1881 that none of us were spiritual enough to edit or amend the hymn book. And it basically became set in stone in 1881 as Darby's hymn book. And, you know, Darby was probably the most modern contributor to it. 
and then we never touched it again. I think in your group, they continually edit verses out and change wordings and remove entire hymns if they don't think it is in keeping with what the man of God wants. Yes, uh, I, th- I think <clears throat> that, that some of the songwriters might have got withdrawn from. So, of course, they had to be, their songs had to be omitted. The majority of the songs aren't, aren't brethren songs at all. No, not at all, no. And many were written by women, actually, which I don't know how they feel about that. Although in our group, women were not allowed to select hymns for us to sing. But I heard anyway that in the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church at worship and in meetings, women would be allowed to suggest a hymn to sing. Is that true? Only women. Only women would be allowed. Only women. The men never gave out a hymn number. That's fascinating. The emotional thing is the singing of the hymns and the women handle that. You see, in our group, women were not allowed to do that. Uh, we didn't have instruments. And so someone would have to start the hymn. You'd have to have somebody in the room who was able to start singing in a pitch and a, a register that everyone could follow. And we had a habit of every verse we seemed to slip lower and lower and slower and slower. Yeah. So we we sang very dirge-like. Um, there were hymn sings and there were people in the brethren who played instruments to sing hymns with. And from what I hear, that's very popular in the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church of like sort of little jam sessions and people playing piano and guitar together. Well, you don't mean in the meetings, do you? They would get a guitar and a piano because that's allowed, right? You can, you can have a guitar. In houses, is it? Not, not the meetings. Same, the same, meetings. same here. You can't bring the guitar in the meeting hall. But uh, what I'm talking about is... Uh, we had some people who would have hymn sings or, or that kind of thing. In my day, it wasn't enormously popular. We had them and people didn't seem to like it as much as I did. But from any Plymouth Brethren Christian church people I've spoken to, it sounds like music is quite a thing, quite a big deal. Yeah, well, there were some, and also no doubt some uh, amazingly gifted musicians mm-hmm. who, could, who could take it very far. But in fact, there was one family and the girl... Um, started learning the piano and she went to the highest grade by the age of 12. She was, mm-hmm. she was a prodigy, she was a genius, um, and but of course she wasn't allowed to carry on. I heard of another girl who, um, a secular school teacher told me that she, she would have gone on to, to, to in, in a field of science to be extraordinary and she was absolutely uh, extremely angry that, that her parents forbid her to take A-levels which were advanced levels in school. She had to come out at the age of 16 and that was it. So, yeah, so there were many, many music, musically talented who were not allowed to uh, progress. Uh, and, and in many disciplines, they were banned from um, continuing it. Could you play uh, the drums? Would uh, that be allowed that drums were okay or were drums of the devil? I don't remember ever hear, ever know, knowing anyone playing the drums. So, therefore, I wouldn't be surprised. This is why I'm asking, because uh, in my group, when people, let's say, decided to make a cassette tape of Christian hymns, it was very bold that some people might put on an electronic drum beat or some kind of percussion or drums. And that was often very controversial as being completely disrespectful to put a beat on it. And there was the idea that drums were from Africa and it had to do with voodoo and the occult and this kind of thing. And, you know, the, there's a lot of superstition around rock and roll in my group. There was anyway. Now, of course, rock and roll is for old people. both in my group and your group, there's just an amazing and tragic 
correlation between them leaving and being told that they're just going to become a drunk in the gutter and, and die of an overdose and it actually happening. Would you agree that they'd prophesy doom that if you leave the saints, God's going to basically remove all his blessing and protection and then people die? Has that been your experience too? They prophesy doom always. Um, the, the trouble is it comes back on them and the amount of accidents and early deaths and deaths of children and deaths and accidents amongst the Plymouth Bethan Christian Church mm-hmm. and it's just Bethan when, when that's in school when I was there it's, it's incredible so yes but they do yes they of course they all cults do that they curse the people who leave and they say this is the end of your life and everything's going to go wrong they always do that I've been reaching out and talking to the people and I've been seeing them on social media and that kind of thing and the substance abuse does seem to be very troubling that many of them had addictions when they were in and when they leave it becomes worse or this kind of thing people leave the, the brethren and just it's like their their last structure and wisdom or whatever is removed and they they just make terrible life choices you know get addicted to gambling and lose all their money and lose their jobs and be addicted to things and i'm i'm not saying in every case i'm saying it's too often it, it it's troubling and my group has a bit of the same and so I wondered if that's been your experience or what you have to say or recommend about the idea that you leave and then you've been told your life's going to destroy itself. And way too often, it seems to kind of happen. Well, from my experience, it, there was quite the opposite. Is okay. that people who leave, there's only a, a small percentage that, that uh, uh, ends up in, in trouble. Uh, for what the people I've known have left, the vast majority around uh, on their feet hit the ground running and, and do, do well. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had some fantastic stories of people that left their families, they'll support structure, of course, all the friends, and they go and leave with nothing. And, and they, they they find their way through this life. You know, That's encouraging. When I talked to Sam, it was surprising because Sam is a computer expert, and Sam told me about two, three things that were very interesting. The first thing, he's about my age, and he told me about... Um, at school, when they first started bringing, we, we're old enough to remember when they first brought computers into the classroom, the first time that your classroom had a computer. And he started using it and he found that he had an aptitude for it and he really enjoyed it. And that was considered fine. But then the man of God spoke and the following school year, when the teacher asked them to do something on the computer, instead of demonstrating it, he was required to stand beside the computer and say, I cannot touch this device because I am, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for me. And he had to give that little speech as to why he could not touch the computer. And then of course it flipped back that eventually they came to him because they wanted a member of the church who could use computers and Sam had an aptitude. So he became their computer guy. So when I spoke to him, it was a few years ago, maybe five years ago, he was telling me that he was, part of basically the the introduction of computers i don't think the monitoring of the members and that kind of thing so much as facilitating using them for business and that kind of thing and he suggested that there's all sorts of crazy stuff behind the scenes that if you spent any time with them at all it's crazier than you'd imagine what goes it's like rock stars that if you spent you know a week with them and saw everything that happened you wouldn't believe half of it um yeah he went on to lose uh, lose his entire family um wife and kids and uh, you know, remarried and, and has more kids now, but still he can't see his kids. And who knows what they've been told about him. Yeah. Met a guy named Sam who was from, from your group who left years later who had closer contact with Bruce Hales 
to listen to him, it's 100% about money on every level. It's a corporation and it's about controlling real estate. Something I guess we should have mentioned before is let's say that you get withdrawn from, you might lose your wife and your kids, but you also might lose your house and your job and your car and everything because it's all kind of together, isn't it? Yes. I've heard it's tied in, mm-hmm. but uh, I've also heard that, I don't know, intuitives that the world people's wills are tied in as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's things are signed over. Yeah. They're, they're certainly, uh, they trap people in many different levels. You know, not, not just the fact that you could lose your family, but also of course that you could uh, be punished by God. If you leave, you know, there's many different psychological levels which trap people and it, it's horrible. Yes. Well, um, we certainly wouldn't ever hear any other teaching from any other uh, any other doctrine, any other teaching, any other Christian church whatsoever. And so, growing up, I, growing up, I only really knew of Catholics, Anglicans, Methodists, um, maybe Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormons. You can't and, uh, read C.S. Lewis, for instance, or N.T. Wright, or any of those popular Christian authors. You wouldn't be reading those. Oh no, no, no. certainly not. No. And what about just? No, no television, so you're not getting the news. What about newspapers? Yes, uh, we were allowed newspapers. Mm-hmm. So uh, my, my dad used to get the Daily Telegraph. That's something. And for the longest time, no internet. Uh, I know you're not a member right now, but to the best of your knowledge, is the internet still kind of firewalled for brethren people, like that they've it's protected to keep them from going anywhere they want? To the best of my knowledge, yes. With my group or yours, the most common criticism we're going to get if I put a podcast on is they're going to say, well, you haven't been out recently. It's totally different now. And then you start asking questions and it doesn't sound that different at all. Um, in fact, with my group, um, which is not supposed to be nearly as strict, well, I kind of asked, well, how's it different? And they said, well, of course we don't choose to, but if we chose to go to a different church one Sunday, we wouldn't get in trouble for that. I was thinking, what a great show of freedom that is. You're not going to get in trouble now. For I wasn't encouraged to read C.S. Lewis, but when I was reading C.S. Lewis, it was like, well, okay. The, the, the expression that was said to me was that we, we have the truth. We, we have the truth already, the Darby and all these people. Interestingly, after the split, some of the people that would have been available to you left or split from us, and so we wouldn't have Raven, and we wouldn't have some of those guys, or Groves we didn't have, um, because they went their own way. We had a lot of the same brethren people, and we were told that one one guy, what he would always tell us is, of course, a mud puddle has water in it, but why would you drink out of it when you have the truth right here? And this idea of that it's only going to confuse you and lead you astray. I talked to an, an old brethren woman, and she asked me, was I reading my Bible? Because you're supposed to be reading at least a chapter every day before breakfast, which I used to do. And from from a very young age and only the King James. That's another thing. You guys were King James only, I think. No, uh, J and Darby only. J and Darby only, which is weird because I, I read King James and used J and Darby's translation as kind of like a backup translation. So King James is uh, basically Elizabethan, like Shakespearean language. And J and Darby is Victorian, which is hard enough. uh, And he's harking back to older than himself. I think he's, mainly taken like one of the things he wanted to say King James only, but what do French people do and what do German people do? And they, they had to have different translations. And so I think the Jan Darby translation is heavily based upon him reworking a French translation. In our group, we were not allowed to use the Jan Darby translation except as a backup. So in any 
meeting, you would read the King James and you might say, and the new translation from the Victorian era, that new, the new translation words it and they would compare the two. And that would be very scholarly. Of course, nowadays we can go on Google and we can see 15 translations and we can look at the words and all that in a way that they never did before. Last I heard, first, there was no computers for anybody and then only computers with no internet. And then sort of like, not exactly like China, but basically if you wanted to have a computer, it had to be a Brethren approved laptop that had basically been disabled in many ways. So one of the things that from back in the day, that's very strange to me is I had a blog years ago where I was talking about my experiences. And I think Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, people were secretly reading it. And one of them wanted to share my blog with people. So he reached out when she's not supposed to be talking to me or reading my blog and asked if I would be comfortable with him showing pages from my blog, you know, to other people that he knew. And I said, sure. And I decorated mine with graphics and fonts and colors. And he asked if it would be okay if he stripped all that out, if he removed all the pictures and all the colored, because that was offensive, I guess. He wanted to show a text-only version of it because if it had like a picture of a sunset that would be worldly and and with these people i don't even know which brethren they are so i was talking to a guy a couple days ago and he said he was going to the grace brethren i don't think we we could we could research this for a year and we'd be lucky to ever find out what relationship or if there is any relationship between that group and our groups they could be completely connected or they might be completely unconnected they just chose the word brethren how about you like i grew up knowing that there was us, we were, we were the exclusive brethren. And then there was the open brethren. So I knew that there was two kinds. There was the the exclusive brethren like us, which which had no real name. And then there was the open brethren. The open brethren were like us, but they were pretty lazy about their Bible and they didn't follow all the rules properly. And so they were kind of like a, a not very serious version of us. And then I started hearing about something called the Ravens. And the Ravens were people who split from us with, uh, FW Raven, I think was his name. And, I was amazed to find that there's a whole bunch of splits going in that direction. And to the best of my knowledge, the Taylor Symington Hales one is the strictest one that I've heard of. Do you think it's possible there's even more strict groups that split off them to be stricter than they? I haven't heard of any being stricter than the, the Taylor Symington Hales one. There, there was a lot of splitting around um, Aberdeen. There was the Aberdeen incident. Yeah. There's a couple of groups that i've heard people say they're from that are like they split because of aberdeen yeah there's rentons and there's frosts rentons i've definitely heard there's hard frost soft frost right and i'm assuming they're all stricter than my group or comparable well there's many there's many many anyway there's a historian who has charted all the many splits Mm -hmm. and there's there's absolutely many many splits i've seen Um, several of these uh diagram some of them hand drawn which makes them hard to to follow but what's amazing to me is that they don't they don't agree because of their perspective so whenever there's a split uh to an objective observer there's a split into two but if you draw it the right way you're still connected to the original and they split off from you and that's how we all view it so as an exercise i did that with one of my books that 
I found a really detailed diagram of splits, but it was by the Open Brethren, and they clearly draw a line straight back to Jay and Darby that they are the only ones who didn't split from Jay and Darby, and everyone else split from them. <laughs> and what I sort of did was show that take any other group and draw exactly the same line, and everyone else split from them, and it looks completely different. It's uh, it's crazy, but everybody seems to need to believe they're the original. The society's woken up to slavery. And they're not happy with that. So they're bandits. They've woken up to slave trafficking. In this country, they've woken up to coercive control over 16s in a domestic setting. But they're yet to wake up to the family destruction that goes on in religious cults. It's a funny week because this is the week where America withdrew from Afghanistan and the Taliban took over. So this is the week where women suddenly lose all their rights. Well, most of their rights. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the quote that they put today is that women will be allowed to have all of their rights within the boundaries of Islam, all of their rights within those boundaries. And so I saw a video of a news reporter, like a white woman who's not Muslim, wearing um, a hijab. And she was saying, like, will women be allowed to go to schools and shops? And she was being told, yes. And she said, but they would have to wear this. And they said, well, no, no, not that, the full veil. I think she's wearing a hijab and she'd have to wear a niqab or something. Um, I'm pronouncing that terribly. But that's the reality and what's the world is looking on and the world is saying like, is it okay for human rights to be like this? And we leave them alone maybe. And when it comes to religions, if they're in our country, how do we feel about it? And and the brethren are right in the middle of that. Uh, the brethren women don't have to wear hijab, but, uh, the, the Plymouth brethren Christian church, they have to wear the token of submission on their head. Uh, they cannot wear trousers. They cannot go to university. There's all these limits that, I think that, like what you said, the only way that they're not in more trouble for this is that whenever they ask them, are the women allowed? They say, of course they're allowed, which is, I think, a lie. It's basically they're allowed except they can't. And that's not really the truth, that they're allowed, but we're making them choose not to is not really the truth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, I mean, do, do they, do, when asked, do they split families? They say no. And yes, as I uh, found discovered more than 70% of the members in Liverpool are in families that have been separated by the cult law. I don't know about so, yes. you, but I keep, I keep hearing that they're inter- even interfering with the funerals of the families. Some people don't get told that, that their loved one has died. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, uh, some ex-members, people have left, uh, have not been told. Uh, one friend of mine wasn't told for three months mm-hmm. until his mother had been buried. Long missed the funeral and everything. She didn't yeah. even know she she died, uh, which to me is one of the worst crimes of humanity. Mm-hmm. That that breaks your heart. Uh, one yeah. of the most prominent uh, Plymouth Brethren Christian Church members is Craig Hoyle. A lot of people left because they were gay, and he's one of those. And he also wanted to pursue a career in broadcasting, which he couldn't do. I think he's done both of those things. And again, he's Australia or New Zealand, I think. But I think it was Craig who one was him or someone connected who almost didn't find out that his mother had died and he did somehow someone told him and they tried to not let him go to the funeral and they told him the wrong cemetery they did everything to try to make sure he couldn't be at the cemetery and when he got there they told him that he had to stand separate and i think the the words from bruce hales as far as the media asking about this currently is that they are allowed to attend the funeral so long as they agree to stand separate so they're not allowed to stand with the mourners they have to be off to one side because they're they're withdrawn from with funerals there's two parts there's the service in the meeting room mm-hmm. uh, and then there's the graveside burial mm-hmm. and the grave the grave is public 
-hmm. So although they say they've got to stand separate, uh, you don't have to send stand separate. That is just their laws, mm -hmm. uh, which people don't do, don't wouldn't have to uh, listen to at all. What well, um, my, my mother died um, almost four years ago. Sorry to hear that. And my dad fortunately told me straight away uh, on the same day, on the Monday, and they were going to get married. Uh, she was going to get married on the Friday, and he immediately said to me, "Well, I'd be going with my daughter to the funeral." So I immediately said yes. And he said, well, I'm just going to have to find out first if you can go. And so on Wednesday, he phoned me back and he said, I've asked if you can come or not. Uh, and he said, um, you can come, but you can have, you and your daughter are going to have to come in through the side entrance, which is at the back. This is in the meeting room. Uh, she, she's got to wear a, a skirt below her knees. She can't wear trousers. She's had, she has to have to wear a headscarf. If you haven't got one, we can provide one. And he started giving me a whole list of rules for, for my daughter and for myself. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I said, Dad, I said, I'll just let the dead bury the dead. Mm -hmm. I said, I won't be going. And, and and the main reason I didn't want to go was because for my dad's sake, because he didn't want me to go. And it, it was his wife, my, my mother, who was grieving over you know, the poor man. Felt sorry for him. And, so, and it would be acutely embarrassing if I had turned off acutely for him. Yes. And you know, on that on that sad day for him, I didn't want to be a distraction mm -hmm. to him, so it's, so I didn't go. Um, and the great crazy the great, how often that you, people like you and I were being treated as these outcast sinners who can't be part of the number because we're too corrupting, and we're continually called upon to be more understanding and more sympathetic and be the bigger man, essentially be selfless for their benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my ego did rise up in, in, and I had some thoughts, which I wouldn't do, I didn't do. And I thought, what I'll do is I'll go to the graveside and, I'll, and I, I won't stand apart. I'll stand right in front of everybody and I'll, and I'll start telling them a few things. And then, and, and I would have called the TV and the radio down, stations down to, mm -hmm. to tell them there's going to be a, a big incident at the graveyard and, and the cult is going to try and stop me from properly being there at my mother's grave and get all the news teams down and everything and cause a big scene. <laughs> and and you, you, you could have, you could have, and yet you've chosen to be, to be sympathetic, to be kind. And it's only funny. To my dad. Only, only, to my, only to my father. No, and I, I, him. but once again, that's, you're needing to be, be, to act more Christian. Yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, I, I want to honor my father. It's, it's, so I, I went so a week later to my mom's grave anyway, you know, and, mm -hmm. And your mom died within the brethren, and so you had seldom seen her since. Well, well, uh, three years before she died, she was she was put in a care home, uh, and and therefore because it was what they call uh, unclean roof, I was able to go and visit her for the last three years because it was a public place, a public uh, building. And she must uh, have been happy. Was, she must have been relieved well, to see you. Yeah, well, uh, well, um, she been she developed Alzheimer's and uh, vascular dementia, and 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 so so and what was quite amazing was in the three years uh, that I saw her, she never mentioned the brethren once, not once. Weird. It was almost as if that part had been taken out of her mind, literally. But she knew she knew you though, right? 
Yes. Yeah. I can't imagine uh, like when you first went to see her, I'm assuming it had been a while since you had seen her and this suddenly opened up the opportunity. But before that, I'm sure you wouldn't have been able to visit her. No, apart from the review in 2000, in 2003. <laughs> did, did you hear about the review? No. Uh, in 2003, Bruce Hales um, changed the rules temporarily. And I got a phone call from my dad, the first one, and in, in um, years. And he said, he said, we have been wrong. We have not misunderstood John Hales, who was the previous man of God. Bruce mm-hmm. Hales has told us that we have missed the spirit of the gospel. And we could have been seeing you all these years. How many and, years? And, and 15 years at that point. Wow. And I said, really? I said, and all, what about your parents who, who left in 1970? Mm-hmm. And my dad said, yes, I could have seen her. And I said, and I said okay, well, can, can, I see her, can I see her now? And he said, yes. So I went round, uh, and for the next six months, I went once a month to see them. Now, they wouldn't eat with me or drink with me, but they allowed me in the house. And I was able to take my daughter, who was three, for the first time to see her grandparents. And it was very polite and formal, really, you know. Um, but it was nonetheless nice to see them. They gave mm-hmm. us a drink. I stayed there about an hour. After six months, my dad started saying every single time uh, he's busy or he's yeah. out somewhere. And, and and after about six six attempts to see him, I said, hey, dad, are you still allowed to see me? And he shocked me by saying no. And I said, what? You, you said your man of God said that you got it wrong and you missed the spirit of the gospel and you could have been seen me. And my dad said to me these words, he said, it was just to try and get you to come back. And and Amazing. and my dad wouldn't. My dad wouldn't sort of say that from himself. Mm-hmm. And I learned that this review was that Bruce Hales had told members around the world to have this review. I can't think of anything more arrogant, whereby they would make people think that that they could see them again, use these excuses that my dad told me. Uh, and and then once they found out that I or we weren't going to go back, pulled the plug. And so it was actually, quite frankly, one of the cruelest acts I've, I've ever known. Does that coincide with Bruce Hill fairly recently taking the reins and also more scrutiny on the tax-free status, or is that something that happened later? It might have been linked to the tax-free status, the Charity Commission, but what Bruce... Uh, who's a businessman, obviously, he'd come into power and mm-hmm. uh, he'd obviously been thinking, how can we get maybe more members? How can, how can we get more recruits? You know, can we uh, get some people from the past? And so he put out this policy, which was, you know, extreme deception mm-hmm. and uh, saying that they misunderstood his father as an, as an excuse. Do you think it worked with anybody much? I, I haven't heard of anybody who went back. No. I can't I can't imagine living in the, the real world and apart from wanting to see your family, I can't imagine wanting to put yourself back under that power. In the book, um, one of the chapters I write about when I first realized it was a cult, it mm-hmm. was two years after I left. Yeah, I think and, it is. Uh, I, re- I did read your book and I do think it's a cult. And I don't think my group's ever going to become quite a cult. And they, they assure me that they're less that than they've ever been. I don't think there's much left of my group because I, I think that, frankly, the identity was based around not having a name, 
um, not having mm-hmm. televisions and not, 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 not. And yeah. now, as far as I can see, they're allowing more of that. And I'm not sure what's left. Once you take away the rules, I'm not sure there's much of an identity left mm-hmm. apart from those rules. Like uh, those endless meetings uh, where you were taught, this is the crazy thing. I I had to memorize um, chapters of the Bible since before I could read them, that people would my parents would tell me them and I would memorize them. So I memorized tons of the King James Bible from before I could read. And I, I was reading a chapter of the Bible every day as soon as I was old enough to do it, going out to meeting, you know, six times a week, five times a week, just continual Bible teaching, nothing but Bible teaching. And so to this day, my head is filled with King James Bible. Uh, I've spoken to various people in the Plymouth Brethren Church. And what I'm astounded to hear is that it sounds like they heard more of the man of God than the Bible, and they don't seem to necessarily have any Bible knowledge. After all of those meetings, they didn't learn much Christianity. Yeah, I've heard that since, that um, most of the talk is quoting the ministry from the great men, as they call them. And it's more about the the ministry of the great men rather than Jesus and and, and even the Bible. But when you were a child, would you say there was a lot of Bible focus or, or not? Was it focused on the ministry and the group, or is it the Bible? I would say it was mostly about the man of God. It was mostly about the ministry. That's what I'm hearing. And, you know, in my way, very judgmental, raised to be. Um, When I talk to any Christian group, I can't help judging them. And one of the ways that I find I'm quite judgmental is I kind of make a chart in my head of how much Bible talk and how much us talk. And I talked, I've mentioned to people, what do you mean us talk? I said, you know, we, us, what we're doing, we're, we're doing this. We're going to, we're going to get money and we're going to have a church. We're going to, we're going to have a special weekend. It's like us, 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 we, 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 even to the extent of saying like, aren't we lucky to be, to meet the way we do. It's a wonderful privilege to spend time together that we, and, and ultimately if you look at it, you're a, you're a club. All right. But where's the Christianity that you're supposedly so happy about? And on Sunday morning, they definitely profess to be extremely happy on Sunday morning because they have Jesus. But then when you want to talk to them about it, it they're done. Once Sunday's over, they're mm-hmm. done. So, you know, it makes me, I'm, I'm trying not to be judgmental, but the, the, I was raised to be judgmental. And this is where it kind of goes that when I meet people and they tell me that they go to church all the time and they're very into it. Like every time I meet someone who tells me they're in Bible college, which every now and then I'll meet someone who's in Bible school or Bible college, mm-hmm. I always ask the same question. And the question I asked them is, when was the first time that you read the whole Bible? Mm-hmm. I've only once ever met any of them who has read the whole Bible. Yeah. And the funny part, I met in a park, people were proselytizing. Weirdly, they were sent as missionaries to Canada from like Louisiana. So they had great American accents, but they had been chosen like, to send them to Canada to save us. And they were trying to save me, oh. who, who've already saved. And they were going to teach me about Christianity and they haven't read the Bible. And I read the Bible when I was like 10. So it was very hard not to feel superior and judgmental and all that. But I asked them, I said, you know, why, why have you not read the Bible? Does the Bible matter to you? Oh yes. I said, well, why, why have you not read it? And they said that they just didn't have time, that they were too busy taking classes at Bible school to read the Bible. And again, this is about something other than the Bible. It's not rocket science. You can just read the Bible. It's available in complete modern English. It's free. It's on your phone. You can just read it. And you can go on Wikipedia and you can go on Wikipedia and see what basically what is the book of Romans saying? Wikipedia will tell you in like a page. You can do all those things. And yet there's almost less of it. And it's, it's a bit creepy to talk to people who 
you know, have been to jail and maybe, you know, scared the crap out of their wife and are alcoholics and lost their license drunk driving. And if you give them a prompt, they will start quoting the Bible like you wouldn't believe because that was taught to them. And it, it often sticks. Mm-hmm. A lot of people still have it. I, I don't know how many of my times tables have stuck in my head since elementary school, but, you know, Isaiah 53, yeah. that's in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We, we feel that these brethren groups had it wrong in a lot of ways about God and about the Bible and about being good human beings. What have we learned? What's, uh, what's the true way? <laughs> yeah, let God be true with every man a liar. That's a good quote, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, if we all believe that God is right and we were united under God being right, uh, then uh, we wouldn't be thinking, we wouldn't be following Paul or Cephas or Apollos or any of these men mm-hmm. uh, um, and idolizing them and and if we knew the Holy Spirit, then he'd be our only teacher. We would need that no man teaches, because the, the Spirit would teach us all things. Uh, I know he can use men and donkeys, but nonetheless, he would be the one who we look to rather than looking to man. Mm-hmm. But uh, my whole journey is, and my observation is, is that uh, the big problem with man's religion is that they are still eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're still judging their life according to what they believe is right or wrong. They haven't yet found that there's love in their heart. Christ is in them. The kingdom of God is within them. And there's a love is in their heart of which they can live by love, not by law. It's called love. <laughs> you know, and there's nothing to split that up. You know? I mean, you've got to work on it. Like, uh, it is a precious gift and it's a plant and you've got to look after it and water it. And you can't just sit in your backside and think, oh, well, we're in love, so that's all right, you know. <laughs> But uh, that's the secret, you know. It's all true, folks. All you need is love. That is a revelation that's needed to get completely free from from living a life whereby you're just following your head, basically. You can live from your true heart, the heart of love, which is, I believe is for everybody. But not everyone is awakened to it. They're still following man, following his laws. And the reason why there's over 40,000 religious denominations in this world is because they're all believing that their interpretation of their holy book and their holy man is the right one. I think it's all about really uh, getting a revelation of God loves us all unconditionally, loves us all the same. And when we see that, then we'll realise that's who we are. Our identity is love, love children of God. And from that, we will live according to love in our hearts. You know, where there's love, there's no law. Given the opportunity to ask questions of a Mormon-raised person who wasn't currently speaking the Mormon narrative only, I really relished asking Natalie all about it. I think most modern people, when they think of church, they think of going on Sunday if you feel like it. And I think it's a revelation to a lot of them that many churches pretty strongly expect you to attend more often than just once a week. And it was fairly purposeful, overt indoctrination. Was your schedule, like the demands on your time in the course of a week, fairly significant or not really? Um, Not really. We had something called seminary. There was a Bible study and it was first thing in the morning. It was like at six o'clock in the morning. But again, you could... On like a Saturday? No, like every day of the week. But you could pick and choose when to go kind of deal. So it wasn't so rigorous. And it it was Sundays from like... 10 to 2 and Wednesday evenings and then one Saturday a month and then they would have conferences that mm-hmm. would be like weekend long things you yeah. know go for those too 
the Mormon church, there was the prophet. And I mean, you called him a prophet, mm-hmm. but he wasn't the main focus. You weren't, he would give guidance, I guess, in these conferences. That's when he would speak. Is there only one but in the whole world at any one time or? or Yes. Right. So there's a prophet right now. Yes. And and I do, don't know who he is right and, now. But people would know all about him probably. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. His picture would be. So we didn't have that, but with the the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church group, his picture's in everyone's house. And pretty much every word he says officially gets printed and they, they have it in their house. And to me, that is a bit more troubling. Yeah, that seems a little bit more cultish. What's your most exotic experience of Mormons? Missionaries coming from the United States or from Utah specifically. There's something about America, isn't there? They do things yeah, differently. Yeah, I think so. We used to do this like yearly trek down to Palmyra, New York, which is where Joseph Smith lived. Mm-hmm. And they do this big pageant on the hill where he found the golden plates. And to be in that town feels a little surreal. Like everything is more, it's Mormon town. Yeah, You've got the printing press where the Book of Mormon was printed. And it all felt very cool when you're a part of it. Like this is where Jesus stood speaking mm-hmm. to Joseph Smith. All very sacred, very museum-y kind of almost like a, they have a temple there now. It's like a, a, an amusement park almost. Do you come out Mormons. of Mormonism with a fair bit of knowledge of the Bible and the Book of Mormon that you retain? Yeah. Uh, we had one year where our seminary teacher challenged us to read the New Testament and told us he'd buy us dinner. So wow. I'm like, all right, I'll read the New Testament. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, I read the Book of Mormon too and the Doctrine and Covenants, which is the the book delivered to Joseph Smith directly through an angel. I'm afraid um, my knowledge of Mormonism comes entirely from South Park, and I have no idea oh. how much of that was how much that was said. <laughs> Probably there. pretty accurate, actually, because one of them feeling. was Mormon, wasn't he? Christ appeared before the Nephites, and that's how the Book of Mormon was written. Dum 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 dum. Yeah, I think they're from, one of them is from Utah or area. Um, but yeah, it seemed like I don't know how they'd be making this up. But I haven't yeah. listened to the Book of Mormon musical, but I heard one song and where they make jokes, that's really it. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you need stuff, including spirituality. You need something. So what, what can... You said to people that are right in the middle of everything falling down around their ears. So I think that when things are falling down around people's ears and they come to me and they ask this question, which they do a lot, what I tell them is that by virtue of asking the question, they think there is a right way to be doing it. And they're wondering what the right way is. Yeah. And there is not. There is simply... But that's the worst. They they find that so troubling. Oh God! It's no. It's the worst thing that you can tell someone because it's horrible. Because to to their view, I've come through it. Therefore, I must know something. Yeah. And they're asking me what I know, and in their view, it can feel like I'm withholding information. Yeah. For me, I'm like, look, I have a whole YouTube channel. I have build your own brain courses. I have a religious drama course. Like I'm giving you as much information as possible about my journey, but that's the most I can do. I cannot help you in your journey because I don't know. I don't know your mindsets. I don't know the context of things. I may say something that to me is helpful, but because of something in your past, I've actually said the worst thing I could possibly say. 
you know? So like yeah. all of that is stuff that I don't know. I just tell people to keep going and like, keep believing that you're not doing it wrong. Cause the most prevailing thing about religious trauma is the constant worry that you're doing it wrong and you're going to be punished and you will yeah. deserve that punishment. Well, ironically, there's not a lot of feeling that forgiveness and grace are coming your way if you make a mistake. Well, here's the thing is forgiveness is only for the abuser. Yeah. Forgiveness is literally only useful for the abuser. It's not useful for anyone else. Legit. Right. Yeah, that that's truth right there. Yeah. I remember getting the basic idea for this song in a fit of creative playfulness, though it doesn't have sped up Smurf voices or anything. The more I worked on it, the more I felt like I was trying to rewrite Puff the Magic Dragon in some way, a song that tends to want to sound a bit cheerful, but underneath it's actually kind of nostalgic and sad. As a child, the sad part of Puff the Magic Dragon was absolutely not lost on me. I remember the other kids in Mrs. Moore's grade 3 vocal music class loudly, happily sing-shouting Puff off-key and thinking to myself, this is actually pretty sad. I think Puff's dead, or maybe Jackie Paper is, or both, or it's about the dragon ceasing to exist because the kid outgrows an ability to imagine dragons anymore, something like that. Some of the parents at the time were quite convinced that the song was actually about smoking pot, as it had the words Puff, Magic, and Paper in it. Going to shows in the 90s, I was always deeply jealous of anyone who spruced up their sad songs by having someone play a cello or viola on them. I saw a band called Drugstore that had a hit that was a duet with Tom York of Radiohead on the radio at that time. When I saw them in a little club in Ottawa named Zaphod Beeblebrox after the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy character, they had the guy up there playing viola with them on most of their songs. He wasn't just for the album. He was on tour. It was such a 90s thing. Sludgy guitars, growly voice, and violas or celli. So when Michael Vetter's wife Bethany got a cello and started learning how to play and lived an afternoon's drive away, I packed up my recording gear, drove down to New York State, and recorded her playing cello on the song In Their Shed. I was at first deeply frustrated, then rueful, that their neighbor was randomly setting off firecrackers a couple of houses down, though it wasn't the 4th of July, and it was definitely picking up in my cello mic tracks. Characteristically, I eventually decided to try to make it more audible in the mix, rather than remove it. While mixing the fairly simple recording a decade or so ago, I remember being somewhat dissatisfied with the cello tone I'd captured. Wasn't sure, really, how to mic a cello. I'm still not that sure. Do you mic the body? Do you mic the bridge? Do you get lots of bowing? Or do you get fingering or resonance out of the body? Not really sure. So... I was at George's store to record drums on the other songs back then and noted that a guy named Pierre was giving cello lessons. I asked George if Pierre might want to layer cello over top of Bethany's original cello part to fatten it up, and Pierre said sure. 
So I came in the next day with my portable recording setup, did two takes of Pierre, and then he refused to take any money for it at all. But I think it really filled out the cello nicely. On the rare occasions that I've heard people like classically trained Conrad from the movie Oubliette podcast refer to more than one cello as celli, I always thought it was a cutely diminutive term for the instrument, perhaps used by people who are so in the habit of working with cellos that they might well say of an afternoon, Actually, I'm working out this experimental neo-baroque piece while summering in the south of France. Perhaps I'd better employ a viola and a celli, or maybe just a moog through a wah pedal. I realized today that it's actually the plural for the Italian word, O ending for one and I for more than one. One cello. Hans Zimmer with 100 million digitally layered celli. So celli, or celli, or possibly celleroceruses. To be fair to me, Conrad admits that even his British-coded scoring software refers to more than one cello as cellos, instead of the more correct but possibly outmoded celli. Thanks be to Conrad for casually sending me that soundbite with only a hint from me that I'd use it in my podcast if he did. I'm going to set Conrad free from the oubliette. Oh, incredible. Practicing my celli whilst watching a bit of telly. The lyrics of this song are cinematic, like vultures in the sky had been. They describe a journey through a wasteland and coming upon a protected community. It is bounded by people who were once men, but now have petrified or fossilized themselves into large rocks that keep people in or out, depending. And thinking of a specific brethren guy I knew back when I wrote this, I imagined a creepy number of guys standing around on crutches who, troubled by the protagonist's unimpeded locomotion, are desperate for him to drink a noxious medicine that will make him need crutches just like they do. And the medicine is made, according to the lyrics, from their own sacrificed strength turned into weakness that one can share with others. This reflects my view that so many Brethren people were strong, confident, informed, quick-minded individuals with strong personalities who somehow, through their following of brethren thought and life paths, functioned as if they were dysfunctional, weak, sick, and broken somehow. I knew so many who, people would say, could have been a concert musician, or could have been an actor, or could have been a comedian, or could have been a scientist, and so on, but had made that great sacrifice to the media, I mean the Lord, and now were waiting for the next generation to do the same as they had done. And it seemed creepy. I was desperate to meet people who were gifted poets or writers or musicians or artists or singers or philosophers. And I kept meeting meeting people who had devoted their very lives to making sure any God-given potential in those areas in their own lives or the lives of others in those areas was thwarted. It was frustrating trying to get better and having people with more innate talent warning against and obstructing the very notion that I might pursue excellence or try to make talent grow. Those shame handles had been installed in me when I was small, 
so they always seem to work, too. Evan was busy when George and I were recording drums earlier this year, and I knew Evan wanted to record drums again with me, so I was kind of sad that George and I had, I thought, added drums to all of the remaining songs on this album. And then when I listened to this song back, I was surprised to find no drums had been recorded back in the day with George. Then I noted that I was using the original bed track as final guitar and vocals, putting a single harmony vocal and bass, he ground up all his strengths And he put them in a pot Then he boiled them and reboiled them Till he was happy and what he got Was a tarry grayish poison Of a very nasty kind remember that I was trying to do a very mellow, stripped-down Nick Drake kind of version of this song. Puff the Magic Dragon and all that. Well, my finger-picking isn't as good as I'd like, so I got a friend named Chris, whose own music I'd recorded for him a few times, to come over back in the day and do what he called Travis Picking on the song for me. I still have a video of Chris doing this with my lovely cat Roger lying at his feet, tapping his little tail as Chris played. I haven't seen Chris for some time now, and Roger got sick and died a couple of years after that, so it's a poignant video. While doing this podcast, I asked Evan if he'd like to do drums on one final song for me, and he was very into it, so that's what we did.
us till you've had your fill of this crock concocted cure-all. Then he'll kick you down the hill. He will toss you down the crush to use unless you can get past. The one thing that could save you is he can't run back.